right, good morning. And welcome to the 26th running of the John Penton GNCC. I know I sound like an announcer today, but uh, I'm blessed. You know, not only does Racer Productions give me the opportunity to come out here set up on Vendor Row, but uh, they've also decided to use maybe not my talents, but my, um, my abilities and uh, put me to work on announcing races. So uh, I get to, on Saturday nights, get to announce the UTV races alongside Rodney Tomlin. And man, that guy makes it look way easier than it actually is. And, uh, but I have a lot of fun, and it's, it's cool to be part of this, this race series and get to, get to be a part of this race family and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the racetrack, and that's kind of what we do. And You guys definitely picked a good morning to be here because um, I'm going to run into this tent and probably knock myself out. So uh, <laughs> if, if you know first aid, that might come in handy today. But um, for now, we'll get started with a word of prayer, and then we'll get on into it and get everybody out for that 10 o'clock uh, 10 o'clock race. Lord, thanks a lot for today. Thanks for the opportunity to be here at a racetrack. Just, it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day, and, and we're, we're blessed to be here. We know it, and we want you to uh, receive the praise from our hearts. Just thank you for um, bringing us to this place in our lives where we can live this lifestyle. May we live it for you. Would you challenge us and open our hearts and give us ears to hear this morning and give us hearts to understand. Give me the words to say. May it not be my words, but yours coming through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul writes in his first letter to the church in Corinth, he says this, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that pretty much sums up what we talked about two weeks ago. Why is it bad to be a Christian? We talked uh, that in 51 countries, at the last count, in 51 countries, it is illegal to be a Christian. You're not allowed in North Korea, not allowed to have a Bible. If you're caught with just a Bible in North Korea, you and your family up to the third generation will be sentenced to a prison labor camp. And that's modern-day 2015 North Korea, communist North Korea. Vietnam is still a communist country, not allowed to be a Christian there. Iran, Iraq, Syria, Uzbekistan, several of those Middle Eastern countries, not allowed to be a Christian. The punishment can be up to death. There's a pastor, Pastor Saeed Abedini, in uh, Iran right now, has been sentenced to eight years in prison, and they've transferred him to a harsh labor prison where he's probably going to die. He's not going to come back to the United States. He's a U.S. citizen. And he's been sentenced to, uh, to eight years in prison in Iran for being a Christian. We say, wow, it must be terrible to be a Christian. But those of us who have been saved, it's the power of God in us because we recognize there's a problem in my life, and it's called sin. I can't get to God. I can't get to heaven based on my own merits because I'm a sinner. I'm the one that comes and does exactly what God tells me not to do. I'm the one that ate the apple in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of time. Yeah, I know it was Adam, but through Adam, sin came to the whole world and death by sin. And so we have this problem of sin. And Jesus came to solve that problem for us. And of course, when Jesus was on this earth, he talked about things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which is completely opposite of what we think we ought to do. I think that if somebody's giving me a hard time, I ought to punch them in the mouth. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He, and what is so offensive about the message of the gospel that you would have to die for it? And yet, even here in America, where we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, we see that Christianity even comes under attack here in America. There was an, a, a bakery out in Oregon that uh, refused to bake a cake with a pro-gay uh, marriage slogan on it, refused to bake a cake for a, a same-sex marriage, and they were sued. And the people that sued won, and the fine was so steep that, uh, that they shut down the bakery. And, um, and so we see even in America, not only are we getting 
not only are we getting picked on for being a Christian, all those crazy Christians, all those people that, uh, you know, they're not scientific. They believe that, uh, they don't believe in evolution. They believe in this divine being who spoke the world into existence. And we kind of get that, uh, we kind of get that, that vibe that Christians are kind of silly. But now it's becoming, there's actually just, maybe, maybe not, maybe not persecution is the right word, but it's, it's kind of bad to be a Christian. And we wonder, well, why is that? Well, the reason is, is that there's actually a God. And if there's a God, then his word is true. And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we're told that a long time ago, there was a war in heaven, and Satan came against God. Lucifer came against God, and he ended up getting kicked out of heaven. And, uh, and so now Satan, he roams the world as a roaring lion, as Peter put it. And so Satan's alive, and he's active, and he's blinding the hearts and minds of people, and he's deceiving the nations. And there's a lot of deception even here in America that's going on. But with all that being said... It's good to be a Christian. We know we've got eternal life. But honestly, sometimes I think it would be easier to not be a Christian. I know we can't really say that out loud because God's in control of the lightning and all that stuff. But seriously, sometimes it's not easy being a Christian. It would be a lot easier to just not be a Christian, not even worry about all this stuff at all. Jesus knew this was going to come up. And so he's talking to his disciples, and this is in Luke chapter 6. He's, he's, this is the Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus is on the plain, and he's, he's been healing people all day long. He's been speaking to the crowds. A huge crowd of people is gathered around, and he, he's got his 12 disciples that he's handpicked, and he's got them, and he addresses those guys. But everybody else is around, and they get, to, they get to hear what Jesus says to his disciples, and we get to listen in. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, which is his favorite term for himself, the Son of Man. I am fully human. We tend to forget that. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about this guy that can walk on the water. We talk about this guy that can heal the sick, heal the blind. And so we have this perception Jesus is, you know, he's Almighty God, didn't really have any problems in his life. And he's like, no, I'm the Son of Man. I'm you. I'm human being. Face the same things that you go through. And blessed are you. When you're persecuted on my behalf. Blessed are you when people say bad things about you because you're a follower of me. Really? That's a good thing? He goes on, yes. He says, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. And I hear that and I say, oh, that's what it is. My reward is great in heaven. That's really not so helpful. Yeah, it's something to look forward to. But I mean, really, how do you sink your teeth into that? I have a, a there's a tradition that I do every year with my mom at Christmas time. We watch that old movie from 1947, It's a Wonderful Life, with, uh, with the original James Stewart. Not James Stewart, the motorcycle racer, but Jimmy Stewart. You know, it's black and white, 1947, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm sure everybody's seen it. But there's a scene in there where, where Jimmy Stewart, he's just had a really bad day, lost a huge cash deposit, and life is so tough, and he's in the middle of this big trial, and he just wants to, he's just wondering. Should I just end it all? Should I just jump into this freezing cold river and just end it all? All my troubles will be done. And then Clarence the angel is sent down to rescue Jimmy Stewart. And Clarence jumps into the river, and Jimmy has to jump in and rescue him. And so they're sitting in the, uh, in the bridge watcher's little, little uh, shack there, warming themselves by the fire. And Jimmy ends up asking Clarence. He's like, oh, you're an angel. Yeah, that's right. Ha ha. So you got any money? And Clarence is like, oh, no, we, we don't use any money in heaven. He's like, you don't, do you? What well, comes in pretty handy down here, bub? And I love that line because it's so true. Jesus says your reward is great in heaven. Oh, really? That's what I got to look forward to? Well, my trial right now on this earth, 
I could really use a little money right now. My trial on this earth, I could use a little bit more than a promise of a heavenly reward right now. Yeah, that sounds great. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate that. But really, what do I do the right here and right now? Well, we're going to turn and we're going to look at one of the, uh, we're going to look at so, something that someone else said. And this guy that wrote this probably has one of the most credibility out of anybody that wrote the New Testament. Because this was Jesus' brother, James. We're going to look at James chapter 1. He writes this letter to the persecuted church in the first century. And the fascinating thing about James is that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed that Jesus was the Son of Man because he grew up with him. That's my brother. He's got stinky feet. I know that guy. He ain't the Messiah. As a matter of fact, John, the disciple, when he writes his memoirs in the book of John, he says in John chapter 7, he says, Not even his brothers believed in him when Jesus was in the town of Nazareth preaching, and Jesus couldn't do many miracles because there was no faith. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. Like, yeah, that's my brother. Andy Stanley, pastor in uh, Atlanta, says, What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? If he raised from the dead, I bet that would do it. And that's exactly what happened with James. James doesn't believe anything at all. Then Jesus is crucified on the cross. He says to John, he says, take care of my mother. Doesn't say it to James. He says it to John. James is no part of this equation. Jesus dies. He's buried. That's it. That's he's done. And then he raises from the dead. And then in Acts, it's recorded that he appears to James. And then he appears to the apostles. And after that, James is a leader in the early church. James believes, he understands now, his eyes are wide open. And so he writes this letter. He becomes a leader in the early church, and he writes a letter to the early church that, uh, that is under a severe persecution. If you remember from two weeks ago, the early church came under severe persecution from the very get-go. I mean, all the disciples were, uh, were killed for their faith, all except for John. And John, they tried to kill him by pouring burning oil over top of him, and nothing happened. So they exiled him to Patmos, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation. But all the other disciples, they were beheaded, they were crucified, they were stoned to death. James, just a couple years after he writes the book of James, he is stoned to death for his faith. The church is under severe persecution. The trial just isn't that, oh, God, my, my, my shuttle bus broke down, and now I don't have any way to get to the races. It's not just that, oh, I'm single for forever, and it seems like you're not doing anything in my life. His persecution was real. And so he's talking to people that have come under attack for their faith. And it applies to you and me today, even here in America, because as a Christian, sometimes it seems like it would be easier to not be a Christian at all, because I look around, and I'm like the psalmist. Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, that guy, I know, he cheats on his wife, but he still is married, has a beautiful house, has beautiful kids. Everything seems to be great in his life. That guy cheats on his taxes. That guy cheats on his expense report. That guy has no morality. That guy has no integrity, and they all seem to be doing great. It seems like for me, it would be easier to not be a Christian at all because then I could make some things happen in my life. Why is it? Me personally, I once had a corporate job. Now I'm in full-time missions I'm with, with ministry, and it's a really cool ministry, and I love being part of Team Faith. But life is a lot more difficult when you don't have enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month. And it's because I've decided to follow Jesus. And so even you, if we're following Jesus, if we've said that Jesus is Lord of our life, there are ways that we make our decisions that aren't the same way that other people make their decisions. And because we're a Christian, we're held to standards of morality and integrity, and sometimes that becomes very, very difficult, especially in today's modern world. And we say, well, why do I go through this kind of trial? Seems like it would be easier to not be a Christian. There's a lot of those questions in the first century, and James answers them. 
And so here's what James says. He starts out his, his letter to the early church. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. It's not James, the half-brother of Jesus, is my credibility is that I once touched that guy. I once hung out with that. He has no credibility. He says, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very humble. Just an interesting observation. He says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. The 12 tribes in the dispersion, what's that? The last thing that Jesus said on this earth, and this is recorded in the book of Acts, he says, uh, he says, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He said, you guys right here are going to tell the entire world about me. And how did that happen? Well, here's what's happening today in uh, Pakistan. There was a, a Christian man. His name's uh, Pastor Azhar. Azhar, something like that. I have a terrible time pronouncing foreign names. Pastor Azhar, Christian man, spoke in his little village in Pakistan, started a little underground church. Because of that little underground church, he was introduced to an imam in the same town, Imam Rashid. Ended up leading Imam Rashid away from the Muslim faith and into faith in Jesus Christ. Rashid became a Christian. Because the imam became a Christian, Pastor <laughs> Azhar, I keep forgetting his name, Pastor Azhar all of a sudden came under severe persecution. They took his little boy, the villagers took his little boy and beat him nearly to death. And because of that, Pastor Azhar had to flee for his life. Had, in order to protect his family, he had to round up his family and Voice of the Martyrs, which is a, uh, you can find them at persecution.org, is an organization that goes into the Middle East and into anywhere where the gospel is restricted. And they help set up underground churches to tell people about the love and the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. So Voice of the Martyrs helped Pastor Azhar relocate to a different village. In that different village just this past year, on Easter Sunday, Pastor Azhar could not keep his faith to himself. Because it was boiling out from within him, he started another underground church. On Easter Sunday this year, 200 people came to that church. Five people got baptized. Of course, because of that, word got out, and so he came under a, a persecution and threats again. The Sunday after Easter, there were 10 people at that underground church. And Pastor Azhar is in fear of his life yet again, and the story continues. But that is the dispersion. Because he preached the, the gospel in this village, and because of persecution, he came to this village, and now the gospel is spreading. That's exactly what happened in the first century church. And so James, servant of Jesus Christ, speaking to the 12 tribes scattered across the world because of the dispersion, here's what I tell you. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing count it all joy when you run into trials when you run into trouble what count it a joy that i get to go through these kind of situations i'm thinking about quitting i'm thinking it's not worth it to be a christian and james says count it a joy because there's a purpose in this right now there i heard a um a pastor james mcdonald of harvest church in chicago preached on this passage and uh, he made a very, very astute observation. Count it a joy. Joy comes from God. Joy is something that uh, it's a supernatural delight in the person and purpose of God. I lived in Nashville for a long time, for about six years. And uh, being in Nashville, you have to be a country music fan. I actually wasn't when I first moved there. And, and then I started hearing some of the music. I was like, you know, I grew up with this music. I kind of like it. I started listening. And now I, that's about all I listen to is country music these days. And uh, in Nashville, there's the Bobby Bones show on one of the radio stations. And he's syndicated, so you can listen to it from about anywhere. Uh, two months ago, he had a guest on his show. 
that had been a longtime songwriter in Nashville and kind of made a name for himself writing songs, but he came out with a song himself, and they played it on the Bobby Bones show. And because of that airing uh, throughout the nation on the Bobby Bones show, all of a sudden this guy was able to release his first single ever, and it came out at number 33 on the charts, and you guys have probably already heard it. It's Chris Jansen, Buy Me a Boat. And it's a song where he's talking about, uh, they say that, that money can't buy you happiness, basically, but it can buy me a boat. And it can buy me a truck to pull the boat. And buy me a cooler full of silver bullets. And it can buy me a fishing rod and reel. You know, I love the t-shirt that says, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a dirt bike, and that's the same thing. <laughs> and it's true. Because that's happiness. That's not joy. Joy comes from God. Joy is something that you can't take away. Happiness is something that we get for the moment. Happiness is when you stand on the podium after winning a race. Happiness is when you do life on your own terms, and I'm single, and I've been looking for the right one for a long time, and because I'm a Christian, I don't get to go out there and just hook up with the next thing that comes along, but that would be happiness, and I know that because I've tried that back in uh, years ago. That's happiness, but it goes away, and you have to keep on filling that cup with the next happiness, and eventually, it's just empty. Persecution's not happiness. It's not fun. It's not cool. It's not, it's not happy at all. But James says, count it a joy, and joy comes from God. Because, he says, there's a purpose for this. Count it a joy when you meet trials of various things. Trials, a difficult circumstance allowed by God to conform my conduct and shape my character. Another James McDonald quote. It's allowed by God. If you look back in the Old Testament, the oldest book in the Old Testament is the book of Job. It was written before Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Before he wrote the first five books of the Bible, there was the book of Job. The book of Job is about a guy who lived, we believe, before the time of Abraham. Job was a wealthy man. Job had it all. He, he, he had family. He had a big family. He had lots of land, a lot of wealth, a lot of cattle. Everything was going good in Job's life. And so we get to peek in at the beginning of the book of Job. We get to peek in at a story in heaven where Satan comes up to, to heaven and comes before God and has a little conversation with God and says, you know, your servant Job down there, it's no wonder that he likes you. Look at him. He's got everything that he could ever want. I'll bet if I took it all away, he would curse your name. And God said, well, that's fine. Well, I'll take that bet. <laughs> You're going to regret. That's Charlie Daniels. I'll take that bet. Go ahead. Take it all away from Job. Just don't kill him. And so the story goes on that uh, Satan starts taking away Job's health, takes away his wealth, takes away his family, takes away everything. And Job is just going through the biggest trial you could possibly imagine. And he's always wondering, like, God, where are you? And what is going on here? And his friends are like, well, Job, maybe you're not holy enough. And Job's like, no, man, I haven't cursed God at all. I don't know what's going on. Job finally comes to the conclusion, that, well, I think maybe God made a mistake. I don't know what's up here. And at the end of the book, God comes down to Job and says, Job, I'll answer all your questions, but you've got to answer me this question first. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I scattered the scars, stars across the sky? And Job's like, yeah, I don't have any questions anymore. And God goes on, where were you? And just keeps on going. Job's like, I am so sorry. God says, that's all right. You didn't curse my name. You were faithful to the very end. Because of that, I'm going to restore your fortunes. And the end of the book of Job, Job was more wealthy than he was at the very beginning. But the point of that is that that trial did not come into Job's life without first passing through the throne room of God. Every trial that we go through, God knew was going to happen. And the trials that we go through, we, sometimes we wonder why, and James answers it, is because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing, we say, well, why, why is this happening to me? And the question is correct. Why? 
but not why is this happening for me, but why, God? Why, why do I get to go through this? What is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it about this, this point in my life, my marriage, my kids, my finances? What, what is it about this trial that I should be trying to learn? And James says that's a good question because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And I don't often do this, but, uh, but the, this letter was originally written in the Greek language. Greek was the universal language of the New Testament. It's a fascinating story about how Greek was the, the, the written and spoken universal language of the world, known world at the time of Jesus. And uh, so that allowed the spread of the gospel so rapidly because everybody had one universal language. And so the New Testament was written in Greek. And this word that James uses is hopomena. It's broken into two places, uh, into two words, hopo and mena. And, and the English translation for that, hopo means under and mena means remain. Under, remain, or rather to remain under. Because the testing of your faith produces hopomena, produces the ability to remain under. We've been fighting a war in, Iran, in the Middle East and in Iraq and Afghanistan for over 10 years now. And despite what the news media says, we still got troops on the ground over there. We're still fighting. And most of our war today is done by special forces. The most elite of our special forces is SEAL Team 6. We, we saw them come to light with uh, SEAL Team 6 taking out bin Laden a few years ago. Then there was a movie this past year, American Sniper. I saw it. I read the book first. The book is way better than the movie. And uh, we're fascinated with what the SEALs have to go I'm fascinated with what the SEALs have to go through to become a SEAL, a Navy SEAL. I mean, they go through this whole thing called Hell Week where they got to carry logs out in the ocean and they do flutter kicks until they puke and then they keep on going. And it's so brutal and so difficult. Part of the SEAL training is that they have to be able to swim underwater and they have to re- remain under. They have to hopomena. <laughs> they have to remain under. And part of their training is that they have to dive into a pool and, uh, kick, and, and rotate underwater, kick off the wall underwater, swim to the other side of the wall, kick off underwater back to the first side. It takes a little over a minute, about a minute and 20 seconds for an average SEAL to do that. Underwater, no breath at all. Minute and 20 seconds, some of us might be able to hold our breath that long. While you're at 100% physical exertion, I know I can't, but that's just the beginning. SEAL also has to be able to dive into the water after a long day of physical exertion. They dive into the water to the bottom of a nine-foot pool, and they have to tie a series of knots. And one of their instructors is down there in scuba gear, breathing, while the SEAL is not breathing. And he's tying these knots, and the instructor has to critique it. And if the knot is wrong, you have to stay underwater until you get it. It takes most SEALs about two minutes to tie this series of knots and then rise to the surface to get a breath of air. In order to pass BUDS training, a SEAL has to be able to sit at the bottom of the pool for two minutes without uttering a single bubble. Most SEALs can do that for four minutes. The testing of your faith produces hopomena, the ability to remain under. And for what purpose? What, to, uh, to what end are we going here? James says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we ask, well, when will I be out from under it? When well, we should be asking, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me here? Because I want to become the person that you want me to become. And even though this trial seems extreme and it seems bizarre in my opinion i don't want what i want i want what you want matter of fact my prayer is always i want to want what you want for my life so open my eyes to see what it is i should be learning james goes on he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given him but let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind if you lack wisdom ask god i've heard that taken out of context many many times like god 
Give me wisdom. Should it be a Duramax or a Cummins? <laughs> That's not what it's about. It's about this trial that we just talked about. God, this trial that I'm in. What is it that I'm supposed to learn from this trial? If you lack wisdom and you don't understand what's going on in your life, and he's talking to people that are under severe persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't understand. Why is it that I have to be held to this standard while the rest of the world gets to live at this standard? What is it you're trying to teach me because I want to become that person that you want me to become? That's the prayer that God answers. But let him not be double-minded. Ask in full faith, as in, as long, God, as long as it's not about that issue that I'm dealing with about my past, as long as it's not about that unforgiveness that I have to that person, as long as it's not about that little pet lust thing that I got going on, I kind of like to keep that in my life, as long as it's not about that, then tell me what else I should be learning. Well, I promise you, it is about that. Let him not be double-minded. God, I know I have some issues in my life. If this is what that's about, I want to surrender that to you, and I want to do better. Help me to learn. Help me to grow in that situation. Help me to grow with that problem. That's the kind of prayer that God answers. But let him not be, uh, be double-minded, saying, oh, if it's not about that, then I'm in. Because a double-minded man is like, a, like a, a wave that is tossed back and forth by the, wave, by the wind. He is unstable in all his ways. You ever met an unstable person? <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm uh, doing a project at my house right now. Uh, I bought a foreclosure house, needs a lot of work. I'm not very good at drywall work, so I hired a drywall guy to come in, and I'm trying to save a couple bucks, and so I, uh, I went on Craigslist, and I said, I just need a drywall worker to come in, and I got this guy to come in. He came in for a day. His, his work was really good, but it took more than a day, obviously, to do it. I'll be back on Tuesday. Great. Tuesday comes. He doesn't show up. Where are you? Oh, I'll be there tomorrow. I had this drama in my life. Wednesday comes. Done. So I have more drama in my life. When Thursday comes, I have more drama. I finally hired another guy. But the first guy, it's interesting. When he got there, oh, Team Faith. He saw my truck and my van in the driveway. Team Faith, what's that all about? Oh, I'm a Christian too. And I'm living with my girlfriend, and I got this problem going on, and I got this issue in my life that I haven't really surrendered, and now I've just got all this drama going on in my life, and I'm an unstable man in all my ways. Let that man not ask anything of God, because God's not going to answer that. If you're not willing to lay it all down, I mean, shoot, we've already gone all in. Jesus, you are Lord. I am willing to put up with the persecution in my life. I am willing to go the extra mile. Refine me. Job, in the middle of his trial, said, when I, when I am refined, I will come forth as gold. And we all know what that is, because when you dig gold out of a mountainside, it comes with a bunch of other minerals. And what do we do? We burn it. We put it to the flame, we put it to the fire, and we take out all that dross, and we're left with pure gold. And Job says, when I come through this, I will be as pure gold. And that's exactly what James is saying. And the bonus, as Jesus said, your reward in heaven is great. We can't see that with our eyes right now, but what we can see is that this trial that I'm going through, this difficult circumstance, I know, God, that you can use that for good in my life. Romans 8, 28 God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. I'm not one of these that says that God's up there pushing all the buttons in life to make this happen, to make that happen, to make. but bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Only God can use all of that and bring it together and use it for good in our life. But we have to let him. And the trials that we face, we can count it a joy. Not a happiness. We can count it a joy. 
because God's doing amazing things in our lives. He's doing life-transforming things in our lives so that He can use us not just to change our life, but to shape the eternal kingdom and to shape everybody around us. That's the beauty of a trial. And that's why when we're in the middle of it, we can say, all right, God, I'm excited to be here because at the end of this, at the end of this hell week, I'll be a seal. You know, should I give up being a Christian? Is it easier to not be a Christian? No way. That's like saying it's easier to go into war if I'm fat and out of shape. That's like saying it's easier to go into a three-hour endurance race if I've never stepped foot on a bicycle, if I've never gone running for a mile. No, it doesn't work that way. You want to do amazing and incredible things in this life that have eternal impact, embrace those challenges. Embrace that trial because God's working in you and through you. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Thanks for uh, your word. Thanks for your half-brother, James, who finally got it and put words together that made sense that we can understand. We thank you for the trials in our lives. Pray that you go with us. Give us understanding of why those trials are. Not, Not that we would question you, but that we would question what should I learn from this. Be with us today on the racetrack. Keep us safe. Bring us back together in two weeks at Snowshoe. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and have a great race.